Welcome to EPRI Unplugged, the podcast of the Electric Power Research Institute. I'm Donald Cutler, the West Coast voice of the podcast. One of the biggest stumbling blocks to EV adoption is range anxiety. There are countless news articles, academic journals, and podcast episodes dedicated to this fear. There's even a feature-length horror movie starring Elon Musk and the ghost of Henry Ford coming out this winter with the same name. While the movie thing isn't true, the fear of not making it all the way to one's destination does stop folks from buying an EV. Today, a vast majority of EV charging takes place at homes and at workplaces. But if society is getting serious about reaching significant levels of EV adoption, so to use cleaner energy sources for our personal and commercial transportation needs, we're going to need to get serious about public EV charging infrastructure. But today, there are too many moving parts and different parts to choose from when building that infrastructure, and no real guidance related to what should be used, where, and when to build these chargers. That is at the heart of EPRI's recent white paper called Interoperability of Public Electric Vehicle Charging Infrastructure, or put a bit differently, the plug-and-playification of EV charging stations. Created in collaboration with the Edison Electric Institute, the Alliance for Transportation Electrification, the American Public Power Association, as well as the National Rural Electric Co-op Association, this paper explores what we need to do to ensure that we can plug in our cars everywhere and they just work. I'm joined today by Dan Bowermaster, EV driver and program manager here at EPRI. His research focuses on the EV market, trends, technology, and customer behavior. He's a key contributor to the paper we're discussing today and an all-around good guy. So thanks, Dan, for coming. Thank you for having me. Okay, so what does interoperability mean in, in, this, in this context? Well, it can mean a lot of things to different people, but starting off with the drivers because they're the most important, it's can I find a station? Can I pay for it? Does it work? And can it charge my car? Pretty simple stuff. You know, we're all we're all used to getting gas. That works great today. Yeah. So essentially, it's just making it work is, is a simple way to explain it. Yeah, it sounds and it does work. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's examples out there that co- company that starts with T does a great job of, uh, <laughs> of uh, you know, uh, kind of thinking through the whole customer experience. You plug in your destination on your, on, on your, you know, your little map display on your car and it'll tell you if you need to stop or not. And if you do, like where to stop along the way. And once you roll in, as you get close to the station, the car talks to the station, synchronizes, you pull up, charge and grab a cup of coffee or car does its thing and then you're off to the races. So, and especially with that T type of company also starring in that movie. Um, (laughs) So um, can you discuss a bit about how the paper addresses these main issues and, you know, what it is that they're trying to do? I knew you you made the example of of that one company, but are there other things that are out there, other technologies, other, other plugs, essentially? Is that what's going on here, making it more complicated just for the people who aren't aren't plugging in regularly is, is, is there are there more than one is or is it just like a, like the gas coming out of the gas station that's a great question so for home and work there's basically one one plug so I mean every every electric vehicle comes with a uh, a cord and if you could charge your smartphone overnight you can and you can charge your your electric vehicle overnight I mean heck that's what our family did for did for years just using the 120 volt wall outlet and at work it's the same thing same plug um, double the power it's kind of a, a dryer circuit type type level power and that that works great you know we've we've done some uh projects that show that you know 75 to 80 percent of of charging is done at home largely overnight and then another 15 16 percent is done done at uh at work with that you know the, the question you know kind of where this comes into play in, in the paper is like well, what happens for that last little bit mm-hmm. and you know that last little bit is you can think about 
you know, if you're if you're taking a trip, you know, across the state, or if you're vacation, and or if you're out running errands on a on a you know a rainy December day, and you want to go to dinner, you know, two towns over, you know, do you stop off for a quick charge? And that's that's kind of where this uh, interoperability comes into play. And you know, it's everything from you know, there's there's basically three plugs if you're mm-hmm. going to do a fast charge. Um, so how do you find the right one, or how do you find this? You know, how do you find the actual station? Yeah. Um, you know, is it if you have the address of the parking garage, is it in the basement? Is yeah. it on the eighth floor? I think you can, everyone can imagine driving up and down a parking deck looking for the actual charging stations. How do you find that last little piece? And once you find it, like, do you have the membership card? Does yeah. it work? Uh, is there someone already using it that's charging their EV? Or even worse, is there a gas car accidentally parked there? Yeah. There's quite a few, um, you know, interoperability is, is pretty broad when it comes to the EV driver. But, you know, when, when you need it, when you need a public station as an EV driver, you really need it. Yeah. And so the, the, the paper addresses four major challenge areas and how they might impact the customers. Site hosts, I guess, is, is another really key aspect of this, as well as electric companies. Um, and they go beyond making sure that the plugs fit the cars. But, you know, not not really that much further beyond that is it sounds like what you're saying. So maybe we can talk a little bit about all four of them, you know, inter, you know, interconnectedly. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's the charging network to charging network interoperability, charging station to network interoperability, physical charging interface, which is mm-hmm. the, the plugs and whatnot, as well as vehicle grid interoperability. So, you know, those are big words. And are they essentially just making sure stuff works? Is that what we're getting at here? They're making stuff. I mean, stuff does work today. I mean, that's that's less of a challenge. It's more just kind of how does it scale, mm-hmm. especially you know for the for the mass market. Uh, when you think about, you know, we talked a bit about the drivers and what they face. And I would say, you know, the, kind of the last little pieces. You know, how, you know, how much does it cost? Like, I'm old enough to remember when you used to get a monthly phone bill with all your long distance charges broken down in the back by company. And you know, how do we get to a point where you know, with EV charging, where you no longer need like a little chip or you mm-hmm. know, an app on your phone? And and the and the good news is that the private Charging station companies are working on that kind of back-end stuff. And, and again, it's invisible to us as drivers, uh, but it's essential. To put it in terms of gasoline stations, imagine if you could only get gas at Shell versus Chevron versus Texaco. So mm-hmm. all, all, all those EV versions of the of, of the charging station networks are working on kind of this back-office clearinghouse type thing. Then there's, you know, if you're the site host, so if you're, say, a coffee shop chain or a um, – burger chain or a shopping mall or something like that you you obviously have a million one other things to do other than manage your charging stations right and this there's this idea of you know the the actual charging box which we all see and then there's the software that controls it and talks mm-hmm. to you know whether it's the energy management uh, system or the the back end office it's how to if there's something some of the business models are lock the software to the hardware mm-hmm. and then others free it up so the the you know when you think about interoperability from a site host perspective it's like to again make it easy easy on and to encourage, encourage competition like how do you make it such that the the uh the software the softwares are all interchangeable you know right. you can go with the one that gives you a certain type of service or a certain feature and same thing with the actual physical boxes you know right. how can you swap those out because if you can imagine the situation if you're if you you know if something goes wrong with your hardware and you kind of lock you know you're 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 kind of trapped into it so that's that's definitely a challenge from the from the site host perspective and so any any aspects from the electric company perspective that, you know, are really different and, and challenging that we're seeing seeing today? Well, y- utilities around the country have started to kind of, um, you know, pick different standards paths to go to communicate with their back offices. You know, utilities are, you know, they're, they, they serve every customer big and small. They serve every device big and small. Mm-hmm. And they're largely, you know, kind of out of that, you know, the end, the end, end customer. And so they've, there's been different, um, 
whether it's through EPRI's Infrastructure Working Council, which has been around for nearly three decades, or other um, industry collaborative and standards. You know, every private company can develop its own expertise and its own kind of, you know, recipe, for, for example. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, at some point, filter to, like, whatever the standards path is back to the utility back office. So, like, they, you know, that that part of kind of the plug and play more on the business to business side is also equally important. And, again, the good news is that the, the industry, including utilities, are working on a variety variety of solutions. That's great. And so the standards are coming uh, and it'll it'll make things smoother. Yeah. Uh, and so who how is the 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 pack uh, when it comes to addressing these EV public infrastructure who who's leading it off? Like what what states are doing it great and and what kind of lessons can be learned about, you know, public uh, public private partnerships or if it's utility driven? Mm-hmm. Um, who's doing it great and and how is it being done so that others might be able to take an example from say California or New York or Chicago yeah. or Texas or something like that? I would say in general we're we're all still in the in the early stages. I mean, there's there's big numbers that's being invested. There's kind of four tranches of of um, EV charging infrastructure. There's uh, a round of funding from public and, and taxpayer money from call it the the 2012 timeframe. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, um, a round of uh, charging infrastructure from Tesla, and then more recently there's a round of of uh, infrastructure from the Volkswagen diesel settlement through mm-hmm. Electrify America, and then the last group is is utility. Um, funded and that utility that utility number in North America, so including our friends to the north, it's about three billion. It's north mm-hmm. of three billion dollars, and that infrastructure is for EVs, big and small. So not just you know not just the cars, but also you know buses and forklifts and trucks and things like that. Some yeah. of the <clears throat> other vehicles that are in various stages of development. And you know when you think about best practices, it's you know the question, at least in my mind, is you know how does all of this scale? Mm-hmm. It, it all work. You know it all works. It's all extremely safe. Um, how does this scale across the country? I mean, you, you can even, you can pick your part of the country or any, any part of the country. And it's like you might have a desert, you might have a mountain, you might have an urban downtown, you might have a suburban area. So mm-hmm. it's you know, there's going to be different products that the that the private the private industry does to kind of serve those needs. So, but again, going back to the, the driver's perspective, how do you create that network or at least you know, kind of independent patchwork of networks that make a larger broader network such that a driver can safely safely and quickly basically drive from point a to point b whenever he or she wants and you know thinking about best practices there's you know i maybe highlight something in uh that our that our canadian friends are doing um you know uh hydro quebec and the in the province of quebec basically came up with the what they call the electric circuit and so that's like a public private partnership where the utility puts in some money and the site host puts in some money and they've basically created a, it's it's one network that includes a lot of flexibility for the degree of private participation. But from the driver's perspective, it's one card. You know, it's easy to find this the stations, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, Just makes life easier. Yeah. So that they were actually one of the early leaders across North America. Um, there's been big move, big big dollars um, and a lot of programmatic work being done uh, in California, I think, you know, and a a national or international challenge, not just national, but an international challenge is like, how do you serve the drivers who, um, for one reason or another, can't charge overnight? So they might live in an urban downtown and not even have, they might just have street parking or, or even in a more suburban setting, if you live in an apartment complex, you know, one or two, three stories with more kind of a townhouse carport, mm-hmm. like how do you, they might have a, a, a parking spot there, but they might not have power. So how do yeah. you support that? So a lot of these, that $3 billion and change number that we talked about, a lot of that includes um, extra funding to help support that because you can imagine the capital cost to, yeah. 
to you know upgrade a, a parking garage is is I not a, trivial. I have a pretty good idea of that as I <laughs> live in one of those and wanted to get an EV, but uh, we just didn't have a way to charge it at night, and that was that was that was our stumbling block. It was less the uh, range anxiety and more the access to a plug, <laughs> so that was kind of tough. Um, speaking of other challenges, is interoperability the most important thing that EV evangelicals like you are worrying about? What's keeping you up at night in regards to EVs? I don't know if I knew the answer to that question, play the lottery and retire and pick all the right numbers. But I mean, there's, it's, it's a challenge. I, w- I would say that, you know, there's a lot of hard work and effort that's been done on, on the vehicle side so far. I mean, there's 1.3 million EVs on the road in the U.S. Um, and we're, you know, it's a, 2019 we knew was going to be a quiet year, especially compared to 2018 with, you know, the launch of the Model 3. There's some been big announcements or big model launches uh, this year. You know, mm-hmm. some some of the higher end higher end cars, which is great. I think that the what excites me slash what concerns me, but there's solutions that are coming. Is you know, if you look at the top top ten best selling cars in the U.S., it's seven of the ten aren't cars. They're trucks, yeah. crossovers, SUVs, and right now, what is offered to the customers is are very few. Very few plug-in pickups, SUVs, and crossovers. There are a couple, just not that many. Mm-hmm. However, if you look out to 2023, um, not only will basically the amount of EVs available roughly triple to about 120, but a third of those will be crossovers, plug-in crossovers, SUVs, and, and pickup trucks. And you know, right now the question is more: Do I want a, a you know a, a sedan or hatchback or smaller city car that plugs in, or do I want to get you know? A, uh, eight seat three row crossover there mm-hmm. like customers don't really have that choice so right now i think i think that the in some parts of the country especially more than others there's a kind of a, a, a lack of a customer choice but you know in 18 24 months it's going to look a lot different so that's that's to me that's that's really exciting and hopefully i'll be in the car market by then <laughs> uh, yeah we needed a bigger car we couldn't fit the family in so you know, you know how that we, goes we got a gas thing so that's the way it goes <laughs> you know we're working on it um so transitioning a bit speaking of cars um what EV are you most excited to see coming to the market? You know, in those crossovers, I'm 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 a fan of the Jaguar type mm-hmm. E Zero, that '60s throwback, and that baby blue. And I'll put on my jacket and ascot, and just <laughs> put the put the car seats in the back and hope for the best. Uh, yeah. You know, going down PCH or something equally as ridiculous. But there's some really cool looking cars out there, and they they don't look like those futuristic, fake futuristic cars from you know the early '90s anymore. They look pretty sweet. So what am I looking forward to? Well, personally, um, we have a uh, a very small off the grid family cabin about three hundred miles north of here. You know, ten miles on a dirt road, mm-hmm. a couple of creek crossings, that sort of thing. Um, so I am looking forward to a plug in version of some vehicle that can get us there. Okay, um, probably a plug in hybrid. Call it thirty miles of range, forty miles of range. Yeah. You know, three rounds. Because you know, we we have three three uh, three kids and a dog and. Um, so it'd be nice to have, have something like that. And then on the other side, it's like, you see, there's quite a few, um, there's actually like three or four electric pickup trucks coming out right now. So uh-huh. thinking of how, you know, the top selling top three best selling cars in the U S for decades have been the big threes trucks. Like they're all going to have a plug-in pickup truck mm-hmm. you know, here in the next couple of years. So that, yeah. that's pretty exciting too. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about those. Some of them just look mean it's pretty awesome yeah. <laughs> the, the, the prototypes we're seeing out of you know the, the 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 legacy car makers as well as some of the uh some of the new players in town uh they they look they look pretty sweet i mean um i'm excited about it what are you driving these days so as our fam, we we start off with a little electric fiat one kid 90 pound dog worked great and then with two kids and a 90 pound dog we moved up to a 
BMW i3. And now we are in negotiations. We're, we're either going, we're looking hard at either the Chevy Bolt, mm -hmm. the B, which is, you know, 240 mile range, uh, actually no, 260 mile range now as of this year. Um, uh, electric car, which will be more of a commuter car for me. Or um, the uh, Chrysler actually makes a plug-in hybrid minivan. Mm -hmm. So that uh, other that is, you know, it's roughly a 32-mile range plug-in hybrid, and then you know, great V6 and yep. and all the room for the for the for the little ones and all their gear. Yep. And uh, it's a so real, we're, real, a real transition from the Fiat, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big difference. And uh, I'm on. Uh, I don't know if they hate me yet, but I'm definitely <laughs> bugging the the internet fleet, the internet sales managers at a lot of the local dealerships. I, I and you probably know a little <laughs> bit more than the average person who's coming to talk to them. It's like, oh, we got this guy. Oh man, we don't have this guy. Yeah. Um, uh, so I guess, I guess, in the kind of closing, what should we be looking for in the next few years? And we look into the future of the EV market. You know, going beyond this, you know, once we get all of our charging stations and our public infrastructure up and running, you know, is is everyone going to be driving an EV? Is or are we going to see kind of a mix of things happening? What do you see into the future here? Uh, you know, as in a lot of things in life, it's you know multiple streams happening in parallel. So I, you know, it takes seventeen years for the U.S. car fleet, roughly seventeen years for the U.S. car fleet to turn over. So you know, it's kind of a marathon, not a not a sprint when it comes to EVs, but. Mm -hmm. As we were talking about, you know, it's like the next, call it two, three years, there's going to be a slew of, of new products on the on the market for cars for us individuals to pick from. And then on the other side of the, the market, you know, whether you think about electric buses, electric taxis, I mean, heck, there's, you know, there's there's autonomous taxis being tested on the on the streets of, uh, you know, around Phoenix area and San Francisco. So, like, you know, there's, I'm kind of excited to see how that turns out. Maybe it won't be an autonomous taxi. Maybe it'll be an autonomous open road semi that still has a driver and when they get to the city limits then they drive and then kind of along those lines and some people might have already seen this announcement from uh yesterday but you know delivery trucks taxis the post office vans you know mm -hmm. the things that come back to the barn at night have a fixed range yeah whether, they, whether they're delivering you know cola or, or potato chips or the mail like to me that's a no-brainer um, kind of use case. And yeah. there are some challenges there with wiring up the depots and that sort of thing. But, you know, whether it's a transit bus or a school bus, I mean, you know where these things go. You know how hot or cold the, the temperature is. And I expect yeah. we are, f um, you know, it's dangerous to make predictions about the future, but let's just put it this way. Uh, Amazon put in an order yesterday for 100,000 um, basically electric, you know, basically UPS style package delivery vans from the startup Rivian. So, that uh good day for them good day for good day for kind of everyone involved so <laughs> this stuff is real it makes sense and there's i mean there's no shortage of challenges but uh it's pretty exciting to be to be a small part of it excellent well well thanks for joining me dan and um thanks for coming on to epri unplugged thanks to the entire epri unplugged team executive producer and host amy mills editor and technician matthew oakley and our newest member of our team post-production and marketing frank siano and please remember to subscribe to epri unplugged wherever you listen to your podcast itunes spotify your mom's kitchen whatever it might be and until next time we're shaping the future of electricity <laughs>